All right, how's everybody doing? Hopefully better after that than when you came in. Amen. Nothing, nothing can take the place of good anointed music and worship and, and doing it together. Amen. Praise God. Well, if you're ready for some word today, let's get into it. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and, uh, and uh, get those out and go to Matthew 28. Shout out to our friends in Alaska watching today. Glad you've tuned in and, uh, and all those all around the world. Amen. Good deal. Matthew 28, I started a series uh, a few weeks ago. This will be part four. It's called In Control. In Control. Now, if you haven't been a part of this the first three weeks, and if you've been churchified in any way, it is likely when you hear in control, you think something different than I think. All right, not for sure, but uh, good chance you do. So keep your ears open. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But like with all these subjects, if I ever challenge your accepted position or, or theology, you at least have to hear me out, right? It would, be, uh, it would be wrong to prejudge before hearing because, you know, none of us should assume that everything we've always believed or always have been taught is accurate. You know, we, we should always uh, be open to questioning, questioning it and then judging it against this. Because sometimes even those who say, I believe the Bible. Oh, I love the Word of God. Well, I, I don't disagree. I mean, you're very sincere, but sometimes tradition creeps in. Sometimes human ideas get right in there in the mix, and we start judging them equal. Hallelujah. In control, let's get into this. Our, our text has been Matthew 28, so we'll read it again, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So in the middle of this very famous passage, this scripture that contains the Great Commission is a great revelation about delegated authority, all right? We see when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, that he immediately delegates that to the church and said, now you go, because I have this, I'm giving it to you so you can carry out my will. And if you know anything about God, he doesn't do everything all by himself. You are a part of his plan for your life. You are a part of his plan for other people's lives. It's not just us saying, Lord, go get them. And we sit back and watch, but it is us participating with him. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's not the doer, right? We're the doer. He's the helper. And we must carry out God's will. So we have been authorized to do such. Now, to review just briefly the way authority and dominion has worked in the scriptures from the very beginning of the Bible. We see that God gave it to Adam, gave dominion over the planet, over all his creation to Adam. 
Adam gave it to Satan by submitting himself and obeying him. Jesus came and legally retrieved that authority, that dominion that Adam gave away, and then Jesus delegated it to the church. And that is those who have received eternal life now are authorized or are given a position to rule and reign in this life. We are no longer subject to the prince of the power of the air, but now seated with Christ in heavenly places, we're in a position of authority or rulership while we're in this life. Amen. However, these things, these, uh, this authority is utilized by faith. This position that we hold in Christ must be known and must be intentionally um, put into action by faith. This is why someone can be genuinely saved, have a true salvation experience, and have a relationship with God, but still be dominated by evil spirits, by the, 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 the killing, the stealing, the destroying that Satan comes to bring. They can still be afflicted in their bodies, tormented in their minds, and, and have all kinds of trouble that is obviously demonic in origin, and yet, I don't understand. I'm saved. Well, you have to know your position. You have to recognize the place that God has called you, and you have to do something about it. And this is why this, this education, if you will, this spiritual education is so necessary. Knowledge of our authority is the starting point for personal victory and the ability to effectively minister to others. In other words, I get free. If I want to help someone else get free, I need to know I'm authorized to do that. I can't just think that everything God wants to happen is just going to automatically happen because that's going to create me in a passive, passive, put me in a passive mode. I'm going to say, sit back and say, Lord, you get him, get him, get him. But he's up there in heaven saying, no, you get him, you get him, you get him with what I've given you. You take what I've, what, what I've given you. And so, again, God's will is not automatically being accomplished. We have to enforce Christ's victory. And our rule in this life is, again, achieved by faith. Yeah? This is why, again, many Christians are defeated, by a, are defeated or ruled by a defeated devil. I mean, he's a total loser. Jesus stripped him of his power. Yet he still wrecking people's lives day in and day out. We should not allow that. We should say, no, absolutely not. Not in this house. Not my family not in our church. No, you're not allowed to do that. But some people don't know they can do that. They don't know they've been given that, that ability. We are, according to Ephesians 2, as you remember, above the devil, above Satan and all those spirits. What, what do you mean above? It says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So if I'm seated with Christ, I'm above the devil. He used to be above us. The prince of the power of the air used to rule control the spirits of ch ch the children of disobedience. But once you get saved, you change positions. Now we're in a position of authority, of victory. And, and sometimes, even with knowing that, people still lose their personal battles because of neglect. And it's possible to have this teaching, to have a degree of revelation and understanding, but then not util utilize it, not put it into action. We just let things exist. We permit them to exist in our lives perpetually. And a lot of times people, again, they lose the revelation. If you don't act on something, you know, use it or lose it, 
I don't mean God takes things away, but if you don't act on the revelation you have, it won't be long until it's not real to you anymore. It's kind of dangerous for us to hear the word and hear the word and hear the word and be taught these principles and not do anything with it. To not treasure and value the precious victory that Jesus won, the eternal word that never changes. If we receive it, if God grants you grace to see and understand eternal truth, and you say, oh, that's wonderful, and then live your life as if it, you never heard that, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. You'll go away, and eventually deception will set in because you'll think, I know that. And what does that mean, I know that? I've heard it before. I have notes on it. I've memorized it. I've heard those scriptures. But how many know knowing it and knowing it are two different things? There's many who know it. There are many who know it. They have mentally assent to certain principles and truths. But because of a lack of application in their life, that truth loses its punch in your life. And when you really need it, you think, well, I know this, but I can't seem to get it to work. Hallelujah. We must commit to being doers of the word and not hearers only. We must commit to, to using every revelation of truth that comes our way. To be very, very grateful and thankful for it. Never find yourself ho-humming about something that the Lord has in his great mercy shown you. It is for the purpose of putting you over the top and setting captives free and bringing deliverance to even those in your own family. It is for the purpose for you to use it. It's an eternal and valuable principle. It is purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. And so we should never diminish or never despise on any level the revelation that God brings us. Say it out loud. I purpose. This is my day. I choose to use what God gave me. When I see it, when I understand, I'm going to do something with it. Hallelujah. Oh, God is good. And so again, the right then to rule and reign in this life is achieved by faith. And it's not universally experienced by all people, but we have to know it and then we have to do something with it. Praise God. All right, let's go to Matthew. Uh, well, we're in Matthew already. Back up to chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And notice with me uh, over here, uh, let me give you the context real quick. Jesus was asking his disciples one day, who do men say that I am? They were giving him his answers, and Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that was a great revelation. Here's how Jesus responded. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or another name for Pete. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. So Peter there, it means, uh, it's, it's Greek, uh, Petros, or a piece of a rock. You, and on this rock, or large rock, Petra, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus is saying this. Now, he's talking to Peter because Peter got the revelation that he is the Christ, but anyone else who has the revelation that Jesus is the Christ also has access to this same principle, this same promise, and you can see that it's not just given to Peter. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Jesus and Peter can do this and no one else. (laughs) But you can see that it was given to all the disciples and even us in, in this day. And here's this principle. This is powerful. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Well, what's a key of the kingdom? Well, a key represents authority. A key gives a person an ability to lock and unlock, to go and do what others without the key cannot do. He says, I'm giving you authority in the kingdom. Wow, that's kind of a big deal. This is, this is not, I'm just going to let you borrow my car. I'm giving you authority in the kingdom. And what the result of this authority is this. Whatever you bind will be bound. And whatever you loose will be loosed. So what does that look like practically? Well, he's given the authority to bind up demons to bind up satanic power. He's given the ability to loose people from those afflictions, from those, uh, from, from demonic dominion. He, he said, I'm giving you this. You have the key. You can do this. We might say this another way. Um, we could call this allowing or disallowing. I'm giving you the key, and not, now whatever you allow, that'll be, that'll be allowed to happen. Whatever you disallow, well, that won't be, that won't be allowed to happen. Now, isn't that interesting, an interesting thought with how people have typically viewed life and viewed God and, and interpreted circumstances, especially negative ones, in, in life? It is very common for believers to use the language of God allowing or disallowing. And if something happened, especially something bad, people are quick to say, well, the Lord allowed this to happen. And the reason they went there is because they didn't want to actually accuse him. And they didn't want to say, God killed your your family member. So they kind of tweak it and say, well, he didn't cause it, but he allowed it. How many of you are okay with, if you had a friend that said, well, I didn't do it, but I just stood back there and watched it when I could have stepped in, but I didn't. We're not really okay with that, even though it gives us, it gives our minds peace to, to maintain that theology that everything that happens is up to God. And we kind of just kind of, you know, pet it a little bit and throw the allow on there instead of the cause. We're still not okay with it because we, st- we still think, right? We still think, well, Lord, you could have done something and you chose not to. So I'm still a little bit peeved. Is peeved an okay word? I try not to cuss when I preach. So I don't cuss when I don't preach. 
I just don't usually use that word. So. But we're still a little bit annoyed at God. But what if that whole thinking is wrong? Because Jesus didn't say, whatever I allow, it'll be allowed. Whatever I disallow, it will be disallowed. He said, I've given that authority to you. I've given you that key. And here's how it's going to work. It's whatever you allow. And whatever you disallow. Now, I know that can sting a little bit because all of a sudden we're responsible. And I realize many people don't have even have this revelation at all. But once we get it, it's not a bad thing. It's not a guilt thing. It's, hey, here's an opportunity. I thought all this was up to the Lord. And come to find out, I have the keys. Hallelujah. And so again, the scripture says here, Jesus said, whatever we bind or we loose will be bound or will be loosed. One example of this is in uh, Luke 13. Meander over there with me. Luke chapter 13, one day in Jesus' ministry, uh, it says in verse 10, Luke 13, 10, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. How many think that's a problem? 18 years, you can't stand up straight. So, you know, we might label that all kinds of things, you spinal people, no. But whatever, but she can't, she's bent over. She'd been that way for 18 years. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. You're what? That's the same language he used with Peter. You are loose. So this is practical application. Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. She probably lifted her hands before. She would lift her hands, but they'd only go like this. (laughs) And now it's like, now I can get my hands in the air. Okay, I'm adding to the scripture. I don't know if she lifted her hands. But she glorified God because she was immediately straightened. How did she get straight? Someone with authority said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And of course, if you, they, they had some scuttlebutt about him doing that on the Sabbath and all this stuff. Skip down to verse 16, Luke 13, 16. So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? I want you to notice First of all, Jesus gave the reasoning why she shouldn't be like that. It was not because she's the best person in the synagogue. She's the nicest lady in town. She's so, no, no. He said, she's a daughter of Abraham. What do you mean by that? Covenant. God gave promises to Abraham. So I don't remember him giving promises about healing. Well, now you can know. If you weren't sure if that was included, Jesus said, What? This woman is a daughter of Abraham. She's been bent over 18 years. It's not supposed to be this way. Do you notice that some things are, but they're not supposed to be? Jesus didn't say, well, it was in the Father's divine plan and design that she would be bent over, and 18 years later, she'd be set free. No, he said, she's not, she's not supposed to be like this. She, she doesn't have to be, but she is. She's not supposed to be, 
Never entertain the thought for a moment that if you are bound up with a condition, whether it be physical, mental, financial, relational, never entertain for a moment that it's supposed to be that way. Well, I guess this is just the way, the way it is, and I have to learn to live with it. Ah! No. Daughter of Abraham, we got more than that. Now we're sons and daughters of God through the new covenant, through the new birth. Not supposed to be that way. Not supposed to be. And let me encourage you in this as well. Never view any of these afflictions of any type as permanent. The moment we start thinking and saying, this is just the way I am. I'm going to have to start. I'm going to have to learn to live with this. And you start labeling yourself as a diseased person, taking that name. You know, most of the diseases on the commercials these day, these days, come on the TV. I haven't even heard of them. I think they're making up new ones. It's like, what is this? And it gets people to label themselves. I'm a moderate to severe or something. I don't even know what that means. Anyway, nothing, say it out loud, say nothing from this world is permanent. God's love will always be there. His word will never change. He will always be faithful to his promise to me. So let's, let's learn to live with and, and understand and say what's permanent and what's not. Yeah, temporary, permanent. Afflictions, temporary, they're on their way out. When people start believing that their current condition of trouble, whatever it is, mental, physical, whatever it is, is permanent, that's called a lack of hope. That's called a, a time of despair. That's when people throw in the towel and give up. They think, this will never change, and that's a lie of the enemy. But when we recognize, no, this is changeable, and bless God, it's going to change, and God's word is eternal, his love for me is everlasting, that's the only thing that I'm going to hang on to. So ought not this woman, daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? This is how loosen, loosening happens. But many are bound by Satan today. What do they need? They need a free person to come along and set them free. They need someone like you and me who have come into the knowledge of our delegated authority from Jesus to come into their life and say, I'm going to, I'm going to set you free from that. You don't, you mean the Lord is? No, I mean, we are in his name. I mean, we are as his appointed representative. I mean, we're doing it. He gets the glory because he sent us. We're using his word. We're using his power. We're using all his stuff. <laughs> but we're still the active agent in the earth. We're his ambassadors. Amen. Now, there's a principle. I want, I want to show you this. There's a principle in the scriptures that Jesus taught before he was crucified and he was pointing to the time to come after his resurrection he was teaching his disciples about power, about the Holy Spirit, about prayer, about all these things, how they would change and they would be different. And there's a couple of them. He said within the same conversation in John 14 and then John 16 that almost seemed to conflict with each other. And it's because of our translation of how this works. But there's a real principle of knowing when we are to ask and knowing when we are to demand. Now, I've realized that that strong language makes some people go tilt. Demand? 
demand. It almost seems rebellious. It seems disrespectful. Uh, but let me show it to you and, 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 how, and how this works so you'll understand that it's neither of those. Um, Jesus said in John 14, verse 13 and 14, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, at surface reading, we don't have any trouble with that. That seems like, okay, that makes sense. Whatever we ask, he's going to do. But then Jesus taught just shortly thereafter something that's a little bit different. And this is John 16, 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name... Who's going to do it? He will do it. He will give you. Verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So in this verse, Jesus is clearly describing the, the correct approach to asking the Father for something in our day. In other words, we're not saying... Lord Jesus, I ask you for this. The correct and appropriate, respectful, honoring way is to say, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus. And then you state the thing that you want, desire, something he promised you. I'm asking you for this in Jesus' name. We ask the Father in the name of Jesus. And who does it? Who grants the, the request? The Father does. But then back in the 14th chapter... Jesus, again, put that back up. It says, in that day, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So which one is it? Who's doing it? Father doing it or Jesus doing it? And here, here, here's the thing. He's talking about different approaches to dealing with life. In fact, Strong's Concordance says this about the word ask. In this case... He, it says, it is strictly a demand for something due. So really what Jesus is teaching in John 14 is not a conflict with 16. 16, he's ask, talking about making requests of the Father. In chapter 14, he's talking about making demands in his name. Now, if that makes anyone nervous, again, we're not talking about demanding the Father do something. We're not talking about demanding that Jesus do something. We're talking about the people with the keys, the people who've been delegated the authority, how we make demands in this life of the devil, of conditions that come from the enemy's work. How, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but in Jesus' ministry, when he would minister healing and miracles and deliverance, he was never praying. He was never saying, Father, do this. He would speak. He would, he would speak to fevers. He would speak to conditions. He would say, woman, you are loosed. He would speak directly to demons and say, shut up and come out. Amen. He walked around and acted like he was the boss. <laughs> and he did that for three and a half years, training these guys. And right before he left, he said, now I'm giving it to you. So you walk around like you're in charge. Obviously submitted to the Father and doing his will. But Jesus is saying, listen, whatever you demand in my name, I'm there to make it happen. You say it, and I say, boom. 
and knock that thing out of people. He's there waiting. I wonder sometimes if he's waiting, waiting, and waiting, waiting. We're saying, Lord, I just turn it over to you. I just turn this whole situation over to you. And he's waiting for someone to say, "Uh, we're not going to allow this anymore. This is going to stop in your life. You are loosed from your infirmity. You are set free. I bind up this Satan act, this demonic activity in, in this situation. And when we say it, Jesus steps up. He says, I will do it. And the Father says, yes. And he's glorified in the Son. Hallelujah. I realize I'm saying a lot, but I want to say a little bit more. Meaning, I want this to be so established. I am not getting this principle, this revelation of truth from just a couple verses in Scripture. Let me, let me kind of finish here with four. You don't have to turn to them. This is all over the Bible is what I'm saying. And it's specifically the New Testament. Okay? Look at these verses. Mark 16, 17. And, G- and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Who's going to cast out the demon? They, the believers, they cast out the demons. They say God casts out the demons. So I'm just praying that the Lord will set me free from all this trouble, this demonic activity in my life. Stop. He's not going to. He can't. He already did. He's not going to do anything about the devil in your life. He already did through Jesus. Now we have to. I've had numerous people over many years, doesn't happen every week or every month by any means, but over the years come to me and say, there's something in my home. There's something happening in my house. I think it's demonic. And they hear things and weird stuff happens. and, And I know some people, you could be skeptical of that and think that's just in their head and Maybe sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And maybe they've been watching too many horror movies. And that's definitely an inroad, how the enemy gets in sometimes. And fear and all this stuff. But they're asking, they want someone to come over and rid their house of demonic activity. And I just think, well, if you're a believer, Jesus said here that you would cast them out. So you can do that. You mean I can clean out my own house? You sure can. You read the verse and say, ah, I've got the key. Whatever I bind, whatever I loose. So you can stop that instantaneously. You realize when demons hear you, hear your voice, and they find out you know who you are and what you have in Christ, and you boldly speak up and stand up, they are afraid of you. They have no fear of, the, of, of the, the, the Christian that doesn't know their place, doesn't know what belongs to them. But we do. <laughs> Cat's out of the bag. And the devil's afraid of you. Absolutely is. Because we cast them out. By the way, don't do this. Don't cast them out and then turn on the horror show again. Don't put on demonic stuff or anything or occultish things in your house. Get it all out if you used to be involved in that. Or if you think, well, I'm innocent. I just love, you know, these horror flicks. Don't do that. Seriously. Well, that doesn't bother me. Stop it. It's still the devil. 
really is. I don't want to explain all this, but I mean, I'm out of time, but uh, everything that we see down here has different sources of inspiration. Music, movies, books, stories, magazines, all this stuff, websites, different things inspire them. Some of it's, some of it's not spiritual in origin, meaning it could be the sunset that inspired it, <laughs> an experience, something like that. But then there are other things. We know this. Many of the worship songs, hopefully all of them, we sing are directly inspired by the Lord. And when you sing, I'm just like, wow, God's in this when I sing it to him. And there are things that are inspired by wrong spirits. Lustful spirits, murderous spirits, fear. You watch these horror flicks, you, can, you know that's a spirit of fear involved in that. So in other words, one, in one sense, what we give ourselves to, what we allow in, gives place to the enemy or it doesn't. So don't cast something out and then yield to it is what I'm saying through these other methods. We could talk about that for a while, but uh, let me give you the other three verses, three passages. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Who? Who? Who don't give place? Us, y'allins, we, we guys, uh, <laughs> I know I'm mixing them up. Uh, it doesn't say God doesn't give place to the devil. He said, you don't give place. Why? Because we're in charge. It's up to us. James 4, 7 reads, therefore submit to God, resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Flee, flee from who? Free, flee from me. Free, flee. <laughs> flee from you. Yeah. I submit. That's up to me. I resist the devil. That's up to me. If I submit to God and I resist the devil, he's afraid of me. He's afraid of you. And he will run as if in terror, he will run from you. What's our job? We must resist. If we sit back and think, Lord, you're in control of this. Get ready for a hard life because he doesn't resist the devil. You do. I'm just praying to the Lord. He already did. Jesus already defeated the devil and then turned the keys over to you and me. First Peter five, eight and nine, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, in the world. What are we supposed to do with the devil? Resist him. Can you see over, this is all New Testament, over and over and over and over again, we find out that if we don't do something about the devil, then nothing will be done. Now, now, now some people are thinking, well, I don't really have trouble with the devil. I just got these health problems and these financial problems and my home is a wreck. <laughs> and, and I'm in, dis, you know, I'm kind of disappointed and I, lack, I don't have enough strength. And well, that didn't come from God. He's not the one bringing, he's not the one just causing you trouble. It's the enemy. You saying that if I'm sick, I'm demon possessed. No, but I'm saying as the source and the, and, the, and the author of that stuff, that's a demonic activity. I'm not saying you're possessed. You might be, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'm just saying the way we deal with it is very similar. Amen. So the focus of all, all these verses, again, is, 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 is what we are to do in the casting out, the resisting, to, to finish today. We bind or we loose. Yeah, you and I have the power to bind or loose. Let me, give you, let me share these three words, and then we're done for now. Three words. The first one is delegation. The second is appropriation. And the third is enforcement. Delegation is this need for us to know that he authorized. We have delegated authority. He authorized us to do his will in the earth. Number two, appropriation. That means we make use of what he has given. It's not just the fact that I I wear a badge. I have to use my authority. Appropriation. And enforcement is, is basically don't let the devil rule your life. Think about law enforcement. You've all been deputized. You are spiritual deputies to go out and enforce this in your own home, in your own relationships, wherever you have authority or dominion, meaning natural authority or dominion, whatever's in your realm of influence, within your, your own life, within your loved ones, and whomever you find opportunity, someone who's a bound up person, and you can go set them free. Because they don't know, they don't have the relationship with God, but people like that woman who was bound up for 18 years, and Jesus said, wait, 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 what's going on here? It's not supposed to be this way. 18 years? It wasn't even God's will for one year. 18 years? Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Hallelujah. And Jesus gave that to the church. We are the body of Christ, filled with his spirit, authorized to use his name. We can make a difference in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for working in us now. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, our teacher, our guide, our helper. Thank you for the word of God, which instructs us and enables us to know the things for which you have called us, to which you have called us, what you have authorized us to do. Lord, we are vessels, yielded vessels to be used for your glory. And we are not subject to all the things of this world. Lord, we give you all the thanks. We give you the praise for setting captives free. When Jesus was raised from the dead, that became reality. And now we choose, we purpose in our hearts to use what you've given us, to walk in your best, to use the keys delegated to us to bind and loose. We thank you for the work of God. It's plentiful and bountiful among us today. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name.